The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which was read earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two instances in Jesus' ministry that I find that many people struggle with. One is this one that we read today. Think about the way that we envision Jesus. We think of Je- we th- when we think of Jesus, we think of somebody who is meek, he's mild, he never gets angry, he never does anything that would be upsetting. And yet we have right here, and according, based upon the gospel accounts, this is something he actually did twice. He went into the temple, saw the money changers, and he turned over those tables, and out of, out of cords he made a whip and threw them out. Does it sound like very gentle or mild Jesus? Doesn't sound like the Jesus that we come up with in our mind. So the question is, is why is Jesus so mad about what they have done? Why is he so mad at these money changers? Well, to give some context, we go back to that Old Testament reading for today. If it, hopefully, a lot of that sounded familiar. That is, those were the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, as it can be called, and if you notice that the commandments don't perfectly line up to 10 if you actually count it out. I think somebody just decided 10 because it'd be easy to memorize. But as you go through those 10 commandments one by one, and if you think about what you learned all the way back when you were in confirmation, or if you are in confirmation, then you might remember how you have failed at every single one of them. Let's just take one of those commandments, the one that we traditionally have as the third commandment. In other traditions, it's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, you are in church, so you got that part going. But one of the ways we do, and for one, I'm going to guess that you probably missed at times. Or, the other side is, is that when we leave the church, we forget everything we ever heard or said or did. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, described the world, the earth, our world, as no man's land. We live in a constant battle, and the, in between the raging of the war between heaven and hell, And we are in the center. And the reason why we come to church every morning is at church, or every Sunday, is because this is the debriefing room. So think about this kind of military terms. If somebody that was in the military decided, I'm not going to sit in in any of those meetings. All that matters is that I fight the fight. It doesn't matter if I know how to use that gun or how to use that grenade. All that matters is that I fight. Well, if you don't know how, to, if you don't know how a grenade works, things could get probably pretty explosive. A little bit too close. 
It is important to actually have knowledge about our faith, to hear about it, to hear what it is we believe and confess. We as a culture have this weird thing where we pit knowledge against action. People say, it doesn't matter what you know, it matters what you do. Well, how do you know what to do if you don't know anything? If not, action without knowledge can be dangerous. And by the way, there's a, if you ever want to know where that line of thinking came from, it came, the, I, I've mentioned this before, but if you ever hear people say that you know, intellect or knowledge doesn't matter. The guy that really, really campaigned for that idea was a guy named Giovanni Gentile, the fascist philosopher. So, just so you know, when you say do what feels right, you're championing fascism. But knowledge is important. But... On the flip side, if you learn about the faith, you hear the gospel proclaimed, you sit in on Bible classes, but you go out and you act like nothing ever happened, again, it would be like going again using that military terminology or that idea of the no man's land. It'd be like hearing everything that you're supposed to do in the mission and completely deciding to go sit on the couch while everyone goes off to battle. It makes what you learned use, pretty useless. When we do that, we also are breaking the third commandment. We are here to be witnesses of the gospel, to be witnesses of God's grace. And yet, we fail over and over. How many people in our... Here's a very good question. How many people in the last week have you told about your faith? How about the last month? The last year? I have a feeling it'd be very low. That is that just that commandment alone shows of how our brokenness. For the people of the old covenant, the old testament. They heard those commandments and they knew that they were breaking them. In fact, it started with the first commandment, which they just created an idol for themselves. And so the, the answer, the solution to their sin was that they had to make a sacrifice. There are animals that were sacrificed. Animals such as oxen and sheep and pigeons and doves. The very things that are being sold in the temple. And this is why Jesus is so upset. Because there are people there making this into an action of profit. This is something that we are tempted to do in the church. There are many who are tempted to think of the church as a business, it is not a business. There are those who are tempted to do, take this kind of line of thinking that we're going to pay the pastor in accordance to how many people are, are in the church. If we get a lot, of, we, we start growing by leaps and bounds, then we're going to really raise up that salary. But if it doesn't go the way we want, we're going to drop it and eventually we'll 
kick you out. Which, by the way, if we do pay that, take that strategy, we would have kicked Jesus out. Because in John chapter 6, he went from 5,000 people to 12 in one day. Any pastor did that, he'd be out. But Jesus did that, teaching exactly what the truth is. The problem is, is when we make the church about money, about make it, turn it into a company, towards a, to a business type thing, we do, shows we do not understand that the gospel and how we abuse the gospel. The gospel is a gift. You don't pay for a gift. If you pay for a gift, it's not a gift. It's a purchase. Anybody, if you go, buy a, go out and buy a car and think, what a wonder, generous gift from, the, um, from that car dealership. I gave them $20,000 and they gave me a car. They're so generous. No, it's not a gift. You purchased it. But that's what we sometimes can be tempted to do. Fortunately, we don't go so far as to say, you know, $50 for the back pew, $10 for the front pew. You know, we charge higher for the back because that's higher commodity for Lutherans. But we don't charge. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be a for-profit business. But on the other hand, you're thinking, ah, pastors against stewardship, against offering. There's a difference. The difference between putting money in the offering plate and purchasing is, one, I'm telling you, either you pay that money or you're not coming in. The other one is a response to what you hear. It is a response to the gospel. It is a response to God's word. It's a response to God's gifts. There's no set amount that you have to do. It is done as a reaction. Most pastors, hopefully, if you asked them, they would say that they'd be willing to do this for free. But you as the people of God, as the laity should never allow that to happen. Because you want to make sure that the pastor can be fed, he can be housed, so that way he can keep doing what he is called to do, to proclaim the gospel. Everything that you put under the offering plate, even being put towards you know, things like electricity. And I know our, we have issues with the screens, it happens. But even when, whenever, when you put in money into the offering plate, everything that goes into it, whether it's going towards the upkeep of the bathrooms, of the parking lot, whatever, all in one way or another is to go, and it does go, to the serving of the gospel. We do it because we hear what God has done for us, and so in response, we put, we put our money where our heart is. We put our money to action of the gospel that we so wonderfully have received. That is not, that is different than what is going on in this text. In this text, they are trying to sell God's grace, to make profit off of it. And for that, Jesus threw them out. But the end of the text. They ask Jesus, what sign do you give us for doing these things? And he says, destroy this temple, 
and in three days I will raise it. To which Jesus is pointing to the second most, more, the number two most troubling moment of Jesus' ministry. Because he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. The crowd to which he's speaking is one day is going to give the command for someone else to take a cord, take whips, known as the cat of nine tails. A whip that had sheep bone and metal balls welded into it. And they will use that very whip to destroy the temple that is Jesus' body. And they will beat him, and they'll beat him to a point that he's unrecognizable. And they will lead him away to a cross where he will slowly die an agonizing death. They, they, will they did destroy that temple. And there Jesus is calling to it. He didn't say, I'm going to destroy it or someone else is going to destroy it. He says, you will destroy. He's talking to them. Destroy this temple, my body, and I will rebuild it in three days. And he did. On the third day, that body was rebuilt. It was risen from the dead. It was strong and mighty and glorious. Better than it had been before he was crucified. Before everything happened. Foreshadowing the resurrection for all of us. See, the other thing that's going on here, when Jesus is throwing out not only the money changers, he's throwing out the animals, he's prefiguring. He's pointing to the day when those animals won't be needed anyways. So if you want to make profit off of it, you can't because they're not needed. The time's going to come, would come when pastors or priests won't also have to have a butcher's license along with their knowledge of the scriptures. For Jesus was once and for all the sacrifice for every sin. He was the final offering. By them destroying that temple, the body that is Jesus, and by him rising from the dead, he, guaranteed, he paid the righteousness. He is the one that, made, that canceled out the sin that we have committed. He is the one that took on the guilt, just as the animals did in the Old Covenant for the families. Jesus took on the guilt of every person to ever live of every sin that had ever been committed. And when he was destroyed, that sin was destroyed with him. And when he rose from the dead, that sin did not rise with him. This is why Jesus is doing what he's doing. His, gospel, his gift of salvation is free. Nothing you say, nothing you have to do to earn it. He gives it to you freely. And so you who have received this grace, have received this gift, you, your body is also a temple to the Holy Spirit. And your body too will one day perish 
and your body also will one day rise up. Until that day comes, you who have that Holy Spirit, you who have been bestowed on the grace of God, as we sang in that hymn, that old Luther hymn, go out, proclaim this temple, the temple of Jesus. Tell of what he has done. Tell of the grace that he has won. Tell it to others. For notice, as I said, this is just the... This is where you get the message. Outside is the mission field. You are the missionaries. All of you are missionaries. Remember that because we're going to have a Mission Central preacher next Sunday, so you've got to remember, you're missionaries. So he asks, how many missionaries we've got? You better all raise your hand. You are all missionaries, charged with telling of the love of Jesus. May we do so until we join in his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand. Mm -hmm.